Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to BXB, the new Yankees podcast from Odyssey. I'm Sweeney Murdy, along with Keith McPherson. Keith, first of all, thanks for holding down the fort without me last week on the COVID IL. Back uh, with you today. And thanks to Chris McMonagle for filling in. Uh, a few things have happened since we last met and history last night in the Bronx. Yeah, and no problem. Uh, it was cool to rock the A mic, I guess, you know, fly the captain chair and kind of lead the way. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Had to kind of come up with my own little segments or way to break down the episode. And C-Mac was great. And uh, I'm kind of glad that we um, skipped the uh, Brewer series, you know, and didn't record Monday. We have much better things to talk about now that we waited a little Absolutely. bit. Absolutely. We're waking up on uh, Wednesday morning here and we are talking about Aaron Judge hitting his 60th home run Tuesday night at Yankee Stadium. Uh, it was Amazing. I said after the game last night, Keith, if you were going to be there for Judge's 60th home run or for a walk-off grand slam, either one would have been phenomenal. You put them both together in the space of about five or ten minutes, it ends up being one of the most epic nights at Yankee Stadium. I missed it. Um, I was talking you about it very it. early. We all watched it. We were yeah, there. I watched every part of, of the game. Yeah, I, I was on the couch for the whole game, but – I regret not going. That was worth the price of admission, I'm sure, for most of the people, if not all of the people there. And uh, for the Yankees to come home in that first game to have so much hype around it, Harrison Bader coming back, um, or really his first game as a Yankee, uh, Aaron Judge chasing 60, and the Yankees just looking to keep you know winning, uh, putting together back-to-back wins. I-, I just thought it was a great night. Uh, I regretted not going right away. The FOMO is still hitting me, but I'll be there the rest of the way this week. The uh, listen, the just getting to history, seeing that part of history is amazing. And uh, we're going to get into a lot of that. But listen, being there isn't everything, because even when you're there, you might not really be there. And uh, what do I mean by that? I want to bring in our producer, Ryan Chichester, and uh, he's going to join us here and tell us Ryan went to the game last night. But guess what, Keith? He didn't see the whole thing. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, uh, Sweeney, Keith, thanks for having me in. I'm here to face the music and, uh, yeah, talk about – you're talking about FOMO, Keith. Imagine the FOMO I'm, I'm feeling right now. <laughs> you tweeted this last night. Now, all right, please, tell us the story. Did, when did you share leave with us. last night? You went to the game, but you left. When did you leave? Yeah, so I went to the game. I was sitting next to C-Mac for the game, and um, we get to the ninth inning, and judges do up first. And, of course, I'm not leaving until judge has his last at-bat. So Of course. I say, okay, I'm going to you know make my way closer to an exit, but have a good view of judge. 
because well, Keith will understand this. Um, I live in Red Bank, so not far from where Keith is from. So it is not easy getting trains back. So I was either going to have to leave right after judges at bat or have to wait another hour and 15 minutes for the next train that would get me home. So I made a decision that I was going to, you know, I was there for judge. I was going to watch his at bat. Sure enough, he hits a home run, make, has a curtain call. It's perfect. At this point, I'm thinking, okay, you know, it's it's a tough loss to a team that the Yankees should beat, but I saw what I came here for, which was to see Judge hit his 60th home run. Let me get this train, and I'll be back here tomorrow night, hopefully for 61, and, of course, I, I miss a walk-off grand slam. So. Wait, so at what point do you leave? Do you like? Did you see him do the curtain call? Yeah, as soon as, as, soon as he did the curtain call, I was out. Really? So you didn't see Rizzo hit a double? No. Right nope. If you had if you had seen Rizzo <laughs> double, would you have stayed? Yeah, probably. I, I well, at least it would have started being very conflicting, and I would have started trying to map my new my new route home. Uh, but it it was I and, and you didn't watching, hear, you didn't hear the noise of the stadium of Rizzo's double as soon as you left. You didn't hear it happen. I mean, I heard some noise, but I just for all I, for all I knew, it was. It was uh, anything you know, ninth inning judge. fans. Yeah, well, so, you, said, you said you got what you came for. Didn't you come to get a win? <laughs> I, it's you know the Yankees have a five and a half game lead in the division. I'm feeling <laughs> pretty good about that. I was there for Judge hitting number sixty more so than a win. Had I known that it was going to be a walk off grand slam, I probably would have bit the bullet and got home you know a couple hours later, but. Um, I don't know. I'm trying to pace myself. I'm going to be there tonight. Probably going to have to be there tomorrow. When did you find out? On the subway. Everybody was following along on, on the game day app and service was going cutting in and out. And, um, oh, and you know, at, at some point, somebody next to me was like um, Donald's or somebody was said Donaldson's up. And then shortly after it was bases are loaded, nobody out. And then I was like, all right, well, this is happening and I'm going to have to deal with this. <laughs> and sure enough, a couple stops later, it was, uh, you know, Stan just hit a grand slam. And then my brother started calling me like the second after I heard somebody say it. And he was like, how does it feel to have missed two walk-off grand slams? <laughs> this, yeah, he, this is the important in the same part. season. No, 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 no. Not in the same season. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, time. When was it? Part. Go ahead. All right, so 20 years ago, I was at Yankee Stadium with my mom and my brothers, and it was the top of the 12th inning, and the Twins had just scored three runs. And my mom said, you know, we have to go home. It's too late. The dog hasn't been out in like seven hours by by now. We have to leave. So we did, and we had the radio on while we were driving home. So I had to listen to Jason Giambi hit his walk-off grand slam. and And no joke. Giambi's Grand Slam landed about two rows next to where our tickets were. Nah. And uh, there was not many people in the stands because it was raining. It was late yeah. and probably would have had a good chance to catch that ball. But that one wasn't my choosing. Obviously, I would have stayed as long as it took back then when I was just 12 years old. But we uh, yeah, we drove home, tried to let the dog out, and, and the dog wouldn't go to the bathroom anyway. So we pretty much missed it for nothing. Look at that. Twice in one lifetime, 20 years apart. I was at Giambi's Grand Slam uh, at the old Yankee Stadium. Uh, I watched that from a room, the workroom underneath the stadium uh, because it had been extra innings. And that's where I had moved down there when the game was looked like it was going to end. Um, last night, I wasn't there. I worked from home last night. Um, and so, you know, actually, none of us saw the walk off Grand Slam last night live. Um 
but at least Ryan, you got to see judges 60th. So why don't we ask you, you were there at least for that part. What did the moment feel like to you? Oh, it was incredible. I mean, it's first, there was frustration that the Yankees went down in order in the eighth because you wanted them to come up with, you know, with a runner on or something. And, um, but then Chapman surprisingly got through a quick ninth and then judge comes up and he, you know, he gets in that three, one count and you kind of just start feeling like, okay, like something special is about to happen. And that's how it's been with, with judge all season. And sure enough, he gets a hold of one. And I mean, it was, it was great. Like the home run was incredible. And honestly, every at bat, every one of judges at bats before that was incredible just because like the anticipation is building every time he comes to the plate and, I'm excited to be there again tonight. Tomorrow it's going to be the same exact thing, but it, it was it was very cool to to be a part of that uh, of that celebration, and then immediately remove myself from uh, arguably an even bigger one. <laughs> Wasn't just you, bro. I was watching the game. People behind home plate and legends left. People in the outfield left. And I was on the radio last night. One of the first things I said on the radio was, don't tell me you left that game. <laughs> I regretted not going to that game, but don't tell me you had a seat in there and you left that game early. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not a good look. I don't feel good about it. Um, I, I can't understand anybody that left before judges at bat, but I can't sit here and say I, I don't get uh, I don't get people that left after that and felt like they uh, got what they came for. But I, you know, I blame NJ Transit. We need more. We need more frequent trains. You got to take the bus. You got to take the bus. I, trust me, I know that feeling. That's part of the reason why I moved further north and started like chasing the Yankees because I worked in the city 2015-16 and was commuting back to Red Bank Exit 109. Um, or like, I think it's Lincroft Red Bank bus stop exit 109. Yeah, that's my and you, exit. <laughs> you got to make, you got to make decisions. You got to make decisions based off time, especially if you got to turn around and be in the city the next day at 9, 10 AM. Yeah. And I would leave Yankee stadium. The only game I remember leaving, it was a Texas Rangers game. And I think the Yankees came back, Didi Gregorius and those guys in maybe 2015, like a seven run game. And I was, just, and that was a meaningless game. I was dejected. I'm like, you were in there. You could have saw one of the greatest comebacks of the season, but you you chose to catch the earlier bus. <laughs> yeah, sometimes life gets in the way, right? Um, Ryan, unfortunately, we're going to have to ask you to leave this early too. Um, we know you're sticking around though uh, and helping us put this all together. So uh, listen, I I just need you to tell the story because you you put it out there for everybody, and I wanted. I, I, w- I felt it'd be cathartic for you to get it off your chest a little bit. No, I, I did. It, I felt sick when it happened, so I had to tell on myself and, and tweet it out and let everybody know the uh, terrible thing I did. But, yeah, I appreciate you guys letting me uh, get that off my chest. <laughs> All right. Ryan Jalchester, our producer here at BXB. Uh, this is the uh, Yankees podcast from Odyssey. Get it at all your favorite platforms, Sweeney Murdy and Keith McPherson. So, Keith, the idea of Judge chasing history, he's now reached some history. And I feel like this is just so important to just remember what we're talking about. And I want to get your perspective on this because you were – listen, I was was 28 years old when – um, Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa chased it down in the summer of 98. I was working at WFAN doing uh, overnight updates. I was 31 in my first season covering the Yankees when Barry Bonds hit 73. All these guys kept smashing the records, and now we know why, the PED connection. Um, but I, 
you know, listen, I am still so much in awe of this number being chased down. 60 and 61 still means something as a kid who grew up as a baseball fan looking at records and history and numbers and statistics. That still means something to me. It hasn't been cheapened because of the PED guys. I feel though it's been taken away from everybody else because of that. Your perspective is different than mine because you're a lot younger. So I'm curious how you feel about that. Yeah, I can't speak for, you know, the younger generation, but I'm sure there's some people close to my age and younger that might be able to relate to what I'm about to say. Uh, Back in 98, I remember being at Little League Baseball Camp in Williamsport, Pennsylvania, the home of the Little League World Series that summer. I went out there for, I think, a week. And uh, I think it might have been the same week of the All-Star game um, in July. And I remember the hype around the home run chase between Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire. But I don't remember as a kid anyone even caring that they were steroid users. And back then, even the marketing for Major League Baseball, the machine around that home run chase, they weren't talking anything about steroids. Like it was a different era and a different time. And it was just cool. Chicks dig the long ball. It was just fun to see home runs being hit far and this high number being reached. And I just don't remember as a kid thinking at all about PED steroid users. Um, And even though these guys were buffed up muscle men, I just don't remember that being a thing. And as a kid, you don't know. You don't even know what PED stands for as a kid. Right, right. Um, Back then, it was just cool to have two guys in the same division uh, chasing a home run record, playing against each other. And I just feel like everybody was locked in on baseball to see that happen. And baseball needed that after the, you know, it was a couple years after the lockout. Um, baseball needed that. And it was part of like the machine. That was, need- yeah, it was, it was a strike. Um, or the strike, not the yeah. lockout. 94. I, and there were a number of other factors too. And that's for a different time that, that brought baseball back. It was certainly one of them, but I guess, I, I guess what I want to know now, Keith, though, is like is 60 and 61. Do these numbers mean as much to you? As because- a Yankee fan? Yeah. And, and like, you know, I, maybe I'd, I'd have a different perspective if I wasn't a Yankees fan and in the Yankees universe and seeing everything through Yankees glasses and through the Yankee fan lens. Yeah. I said last night, I think it's no coincidence Right. I feel like it was a a destiny for Aaron Judge to be chasing down 61, 61 years after 1961 Mm -hmm. in a Yankee uniform, in a contract year, a bet on myself year. Uh, 61. There's I still haven't even seen the movie. 61. Oh, yeah. Here we go with the movie stuff. Here we go with the movie stuff. Come on. I got to watch that one now. Uh, like that He's one, actually, I might have to get to this weekend. It's very easy. Go. Billy Crystal <laughs> directed it. It was in 2001. He did it uh, on the, um, I guess, the 40th anniversary of that season. And I actually got to do a show with him and the two actors who played Maris Amanda last year for SNY. Um, I'm going to tweet out that a little bit, too. So you get a chance to watch that. That's phenomenal uh, little piece I got to do. Uh, 61 is a great look back because it'll show you the contrast. It'll show you the differences. Okay. Because um, Roger Maris, well, a lot of different things happened. First of all, Roger Maris had Mickey Mantle too. They were both chasing down this number. Um, And Babe Ruth's Babe Ruth's widow, people who knew Babe Ruth didn't want that record to be broken. And they went to lengths to separate this. People are looking one 
Aaron Judge doesn't have anybody else he's competing with. He's doing this all by himself in his own lineup, in his own league, in his own sport. He's the only one doing this. And like there's a kind of a blessing. The Maris family is there. They say records are meant to be broken. They're not rooting for it to happen. But if it happens, they are going to applaud it and applaud it more now because it's not by people who attach to PEDs. Yeah. And it's also a way different era. I spoke on this on WFAN last night. You know, Judge is doing this in an era where everyone's got a cell phone. Everyone was standing up recording. Yeah. Even more pressure, right? Mm-hmm. The more pressure just being, you know, a New York Yankee in this time where the Yankees are in a World Series drought. And we look at Aaron Judge as the face of the Yankees and the face of baseball. The dead ball era, like supposedly uh, he's doing this in a year where home runs are down. And you can't even say supposedly. The next closest guy is Kyle Schwarber with 40 home runs. He's 20, 20 home runs ahead of the next closest guy. Uh, there's just so many things to add to like what makes this great about there are pitchers that he's facing. Like he's taken Alec Manoa deep this year. He's 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 facing some of the best pitchers in baseball. Obviously, you know, you get your your Will Crows here and there, but some of these guys are coming out of the bullpen throwing 97, 98, 99. Judge is doing it in an era where it's just unheard of. And the biggest thing for me is the way that he carries himself, the way that he goes about it. He doesn't pimp home runs. He doesn't admire them. He doesn't bat flip. He's like the perfect Yankee. I think it's ridiculous, actually, that like the Yankees have this human being. Yeah, I'm not I'm not all that, you know, jazz. You know, I, I don't I don't care that much about like the oh, he does it the right way. He does like I'm if he wants to flip bats. Listen, if he wants to watch the home runs like like Reggie Jackson watched home runs. OK, I mean, you're but like this era yeah. is the era of bat flipping and mm-hmm. and watching home runs and admiring it. That's for, why for me, I just think that his style of doing this is so great. It's regular. It's like, oh, hitting home runs. I'm not out there to hit home runs. This is just what I do. Watch this home runs. I don't, you know, I didn't mind that either. Um, I, here, here, my thing about watching home runs, bat flips are a different thing altogether. I think there's a different kind of emotion uh, attached to that. But watching home runs, I thought was is different because you know there's there were forty thousand people in the ballpark last night. All of them were watching that ball. Okay. Why isn't the guy who hit it? Why is he the only one who's not allowed to watch it? Why can't he take an extra couple of seconds? He's ashamed. He's so (laughs) modest. He's like, Oh, look at this. They're going to superimpose me with Babe Ruth. Now I can't even bear to look. That was listen. And and I I think there's a different kind of pressure too, for, you know, this is different than like a hitting streak, right? Like you, you, you can't just single and satisfy everybody, you know? Um, you're talking to me, the 3,000 hits, you know, Jeter obviously had a home run, but, you know, a little infield dribbler would have been the 3,000th hit and it would have been 3,000. Everybody's watching, waiting for a guy to hit the ball over the fence and not just, you know, one row deep. They want him to hit it, you know, like like he does all of these. That's a different kind of pressure. And he's living up to that, too, when you're everyone's ex- counts 3-1 last night. It's a four-run lead. I think everybody kind of has an idea that you're going to get a chance to swing the bat. And he did what everybody wanted him to do. That's insane, Keith. Yeah, the amount of concentration and preparation and focus to me is just another level. It's otherworldly. And, uh, you know, you mentioned Jeter, right? And Jeter had the flair for dramatic and uh, just was Captain Clutch and always came through like – the judge is looking that way as well. Judge is looking in the same mold. And uh, I'll say this before we move on. Watching the game, Judge being the MVP, 
him having that moment, right, that sparked the team. It woke the stadium up, Mm -hmm. gave everybody the joyous moment they were looking for in a game that looked like a a disappointment. You know, Rodolfo Castro hits that home run, and and this guy looked looked away and, like, flipped his bat like it was a no-doubter, and and it was a wall scraper. Even with Judge, right, even with Judge there, it's like, hey, bro, that guy's 6'7". He could probably jump up, like, almost 11 feet. He might be able to rob that one. But, uh, you know, the stadium was booing John Carlos Stanton. The vibes were not right in there. And one guy, one most valuable guy, is able to change it in one swing where now it's 8-5. And now the guys in the in the dugout are pumped up because they're witnessing history. And then they're, like, probably looking at him, and he's like, hey, he's passing the baton. We're down three. Go mm-hmm. get it. And yeah. then they did go get it, and everybody that stayed got a – a great present, a great gift, a night that they won't remember or that they'll they'll never forget. They'll always remember. Yeah. And, and even if you weren't there, if you left early, you'll probably remember it, too. I, I think the other thing about that is sorry, Ryan, I just keep having to throw these. Two <laughs> um, I, I think the other thing is kind of remarkable about this, Keith, is and I want to get into the MVP thing with you, too. But, um, you know, the fact that he did it, that he got there. We talk about pace a lot, okay? He's on pace to do this. You're on pace to do that. Well, at one point this season, the Yankees were on pace to win about 120 games. Well, it didn't happen, you know, and for a variety of reasons. It's really hard to do when you're talking about putting up paces of historic proportions, whether it's wins, whether it's home runs, whether it's strikeouts, or whether it's, you know, you pitch five perfect innings or six perfect innings. The fact that you don't finish it, it's because it's not supposed to. It's supposed to be hard, right? It's hard to finish those things. Judge finished this, okay? And I understand the record is 73, and he's probably not going to get there. But there's still something, as we're talking about, there's something magical to this number and getting here that not a lot of people have gotten to. And he did. His pace stayed. He made that happen because it's not easy to do. And I think that's something else to appreciate. When the Yankees were losing games, when the Yankees were struggling, he still kept his pace. You know, when the Yankees were down and and the bats were quiet and, you know, the judge would still pop one out. I, I referred back to that game in Tampa that the Yankees lost 2-1. I believe it was a Saturday night and judge came up in the ninth inning and led off and hit a home run. And it was, you know, meaningless because the game you knew the game was going to end 2-1. You knew the Yankees had nothing. But last night was a different type of vibe. Judge comes up and hits that home run and we have life. And, uh, man, he's a, a powerful guy. I hope he gets all the money he deserves. And I really hope that this year he gets to scratch another thing off of the naysayers list, right? There's a lot of haters that like to point to his numbers in October and say what he does or doesn't do. And uh, I'd really like this guy to take that same focus into October and mash there as well and help lead the Yankees uh, as far as they can go so that he can scratch that off the list as well. That's kind of what he's looking forward to. There's a, you know, the the team goal, the wins that he's talking about. Um, I, I just think it's kind of fun to just watch him get through this and put up the kind of season that isn't just home runs either. Um, we're talking about at this moment in time, he leads the batting race. He took that over on Tuesday night. And that's going to be a tight finish here over these final weeks of the season to see if he can win the batting title and, and win the triple crown with it. Um that's that's another part of this. You know, we're not seeing this thing. In I'm 52 years old. In my lifetime, one person has won the triple crown. Um, 
nobody has hit 60 home runs without a PED taint attached to it. This is an incredible year that he's putting together that it wasn't just about, oh, this one hot month, this two hot months. Uh, and, and I, you know, Keith, I phrased it the other day and I know, you know, you, you referenced this, you know, the team, the team is kind of lost without him because of all the injuries they suffered, which hurt their pace and everything else you know this is this is the way I, I wrote it the other day he's putting up ruthian numbers while he's batting atop not murderer's row you know babe ruth <laughs> in the 1927 yankees that was murderer's row lou gehrig was there and everybody else you know uh, mashing the rest of the league this is not murderer's row and he's putting up ruthian numbers yeah he, he was batting second for a long time we saw him bat third a couple times now he's had the lead off as of the last couple of weeks. And I don't know. I just, there's just, we're running out of adjectives to describe the guy. We're running out of words. Uh, for triple, him, does triple crown mean something to you? Just yeah. I was about to something? say for him to claim the triple crown, we've been looking at that the last couple of weeks because he has come out and said that he wants to hit 300. And as soon as he crept up to like 307 and Xander Bogarts and Luisa rise were around like 315, 16, 17, it started to become real. And as people start talking about things, it's in people's minds. I feel like there are baseball gods that, you know, they're watching over all of this. They want this stuff to happen. And I think it's ridiculous for this guy to be the triple crown winner, potentially the batting title, uh, the home run record, the MVP. It's just like a video game. It's create a player. If you were to make a Yankee and make him 6'7", 280, give him power. And like, we can't knock what this guy has done in the field, too. He played center field a lot for the New York Yankees this year. Harrison Bader is here. He gets to slide back over to right field. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I just they're, – they're showing a lot of things now from Judge uh, on his way up. You know, they, they've shown his 2013 batting practice in the Oakland Coliseum when he got drafted. They showed how his stance has changed over the years. The Yankees drafted this guy, helped develop this guy. He has become – uh, otherworldly, the face of baseball, the biggest, like, I, I just, I, I don't know what to say. Um, sign him, pay him, and uh, hopefully we can get uh, as far as we can get in October and, and have some more good times once the uh, records go back to 0-0 zero, zero and the stats don't matter. The sign and pay him, well, they'll be, I'm sure we'll devote an entire show to that at some point. The MVP we've talked about, I know you've talked about on your show, and I know you talked about MLB Network too. This is a debate, right? It's, and now listen, it's a legitimate debate, okay? I'm not going to sit here and tell you that, um, you know, I don't like the people who say, if anybody votes for Otani, they should have their vote taken away. Well, listen, you know, <laughs> nah. this isn't a fascist state, okay? You're allowed to vote and, and back up your vote. Uh, Otani is doing things that people haven't seen. It's taken you know, if Aaron Judge was leading the Yankees with 42 home runs um, and batting 275, we probably wouldn't be talking about this in the same way. It might not be the same debate um, because Otani is a special player and he's doing things that people just don't see. Um, it's taken a historic season to say, okay, maybe Otani isn't the MVP this year. Listen, I'm with you, Keith, I think, that judges the MVP or should be the MVP of the American League. But I, I, I don't think it's this slam dunk thing. I really don't because we have to recognize that there's a guy doing things that we also are comparing to Babe Ruth, okay? That is, that's a big deal. 
I understand the argument with Otani that he won MVP last year and he's having a better season this year. So if he won it last year and he's having a better season than he's having last year, then he should win it again this year. But I feel like Aaron Judge trumps that because of what we've just gone through, all the things we've named from the home run record to the triple crown, the batting title, the, you know, the, the, the guys doing it on a first place team. He carried that team. And my argument has shifted to this, right? Otani is a complete unicorn. And uh, I think what we're going to see if he's healthy is him stack seasons like this and potentially get better, but him stack seasons where he is one of the top home run hitters, DHs, and he is one of the top pitchers in the American league or wherever he lands. He, I think, <laughs> I think yeah. it'll help his case if he gets out of Anaheim and then he's on a team that yeah. he's helping go to October because where the argument has circled around for me is the word value. It's mm. the most valuable player. What do you consider value? I consider value winning games and getting to October, right? Um, Shohei Otani, as great as he is, he's not able to will them to victory. He yeah. can dominate on the mound and they can still lose. He can hit two home runs in a game and they can still lose. And do quite often. And it and it happens exactly. And it's not like we haven't seen it. It happens. He's also playing next to another MVP and arguably the best player in baseball, depending on who you ask over the last decade, Mike Trout. So if we're talking about value also, look at how many tickets were sold last night. There's 40,000 people in the Bronx to see a Pirates-Yankees um, game late in the season. Uh, that's not a game that would draw 40,000. The right. value of Aaron Judge and what he's doing is putting people in the seats. That's money, right? And then, you know, what else is value? It doesn't have to just be money. Like I said, it's the value of what you're doing for the team. You take this guy off the team, and they are not this team. You take Shohei Otani off the Angels, they're still eliminated and not a postseason. Yeah, I agree. And I think, listen, and I agree with that definition of valuable, but that's the problem with the award, okay? And, you know, everybody defines it differently, and that's okay. You know, you're, this is what part of voting for the award is all about, is that people have their different definitions of it. And I, I just don't like, listen, I think it would be a crime if Judge didn't win the MVP this year, okay? But I do not like this whole idea of, well, if you don't vote the way I want you to, you should have your vote taken away. Well, that's just silly, okay? Because we're not talking about, you know, voting for you know, Andrew Velazquez for MVP. And I'm sorry, Andrew, I do like that. Okay? <laughs> What's up, Squid? <laughs> yeah, I, this, is, this isn't personal, okay? But we're talking about... Uh, somebody who now where I think it would get sketchy and this is something we have to see as is the years go on like what is the cutoff for Shohei Otani's greatness to be rewarded with an MVP if he was going to have a season where he had I don't know 28 home runs and maybe as a pitcher he was you know 10 and 7 um and maybe his ERA is slightly higher he's still doing like nobody else still can match that okay but is there a cutoff to his greatness in terms of production? And I think there is, but this isn't it. He's in this discussion. He's in this argument because he is having a great season, but Judge should, in my opinion, win the award. Yeah, there's another thought to value. What do you do for your team? It is extremely valuable to be able to be an ace and a DH in one guy, right? Mm -hmm. But then when you look at Judge, man, he's too... He's two 30 home run hitters in one guy, right? He's like having two 30 uh, yeah. home run hitters in your lineup. Yeah. And uh -huh. uh, the last thing I'll say about that 
with with Shohei Otani and Judge is uh, Judge should have had the MVP in 2017. I I like I'll never get over that one. Mm. And if they don't give him the AL MVP this year, I'll really never get over this one. I feel like Shohei got it last year, and that was his first full year healthy doing what he does. Great. But in his second year, here comes Aaron Judge in a prove-it year, and he goes absolutely insane. Yeah. There's no way you don't reward him with the AL MVP. Uh, Vladdy Jr. spoke to it. He said he feels like it would be another steal. And I didn't know if Vladdy was talking about himself, you <laughs> yeah. know, and, and Shohei stealing it from him last year or, you know, Altuve stealing it from Judge and then us finding out about the trash cans. And it was close even with the help that Altuve had. Um, I feel like Judge is the MVP this year. I think it's getting – uh, more and more, like if there's a percentage, I think it's 60 40 judge now, uh, just because of all this hype. I'm watching Sports Center, they don't cover the Yankees, they don't cover baseball like that. Yeah. They, don't, they don't go breaking news to Yankee Stadium. Pre- like, there's extra cameras, there's, there's extra eyes, extra attention. Uh, people that don't even, you know, watch baseball or tweeting about it. I saw a tweet that got picked up where someone was trying to blame MOB's marketing. They're like, I had no idea judge was going for Roos record tonight. I'm like, I everybody that, else I did. For me. I think that was, that was um, a little sarcasm because oh, okay. everybody is mentioning. And Twitter, oh, yeah. Twitter, Twitter ruins all of this as well. Right. Because Twitter is where you see people like you shouldn't, your vote, you shouldn't have a vote. And it's like, if That's, we didn't have Twitter, yeah. I That's, think it would be quieter on some of these debates. It's the dumb, it's the dumbest argument, okay? Because you know, you you've earned the right to vote however you want to vote, not how somebody else wants you to vote. And and that's you know, you can't just take it away kind of thing. Um, let's remind everybody that you're listening to BXB. It's the uh, brand new Yankees podcast. This is episode six, Sweeney Murdy, Keith McPherson. You can follow us on our socials, uh, a Twitter. Most place, the best place to find us at Yankees WFAN at Keith underscore McPherson. And you can find us on WFAN regularly. And uh, this is episode six of our podcast from Odyssey, available at all your favorite platforms. A few things happened on Tuesday night that are worth mentioning, Keith, that have nothing to do with Aaron Judge, with Giancarlo Stanton, an amazing walk off grand slam and uh, history that Judge is reaching. One of them is Harrison Bader. Um, and think about like I think it's worth reminding him that this doesn't happen every night. <laughs> it was his first game, and he got quite a game. But he showed you a couple of things that I think you like moving forward. Uh, I'm just happy that uh, it happened right away because if he struggled, there, you know, speaking to Twitter, Yankees Twitter would have been like, oh, here he goes. This guy's a bomb. Cashman made the trade. And listen, no, he shows you right away. And I was going back to my receipts <laughs> and I was retweeting my tweets. I've seen the kid play for the Cardinals. I pay attention to the whole league. And uh, I didn't even know he was available this year. I thought it would have been, I didn't even, I thought he was out for the season. I guess mm-hmm. I wasn't p- paying that much attention. But for him to come back with 15 games left, 16 games left, and uh, step in right away, and you, you hear all this talk this year about, Oh, the pinstripes are heavy and feeling bad for Joey Gallo and Aaron Hicks and all the booze. And you see this kid step in there uh, with the lightning bolts on his gloves. Number 22, going to erase the ghost of the Kobe <laughs> Ellsbury in center field. Uh, Horace Mann kid, a Bronxville kid. The mm. pinstripes look light for him. He looked comfortable. And, you know, they showed his eight-year-old birthday cake with the Yankees logo. He'd been to the old stadium, the new stadium. This is not 
over his head. Uh, this is not overwhelming. He's a, a good ball player, and I just pray he stays healthy. Immediate impact. The beginning of the game last night, or really the middle of the game last night, this guy's yeah. two for two. He had three RBIs. He's fast. He's making plays. Um, he's going to be one of the best center fielders we've ever seen in for the Yankees. Like, just his defensive run saved. Like, this guy's not going to drop fly balls in center. He's not going to, like, not take the right angles. He's going to help judge. If they get Benintendi back, man, that outfield can be one of the best outfields in baseball. And I'm just excited that it's coming together and that Brian Cashman is sitting somewhere like, I'm smarter than you guys. I know a couple things. <laughs> I know a couple things. I, I know how to build this team. And I said this in my tweet months ago, and I, I referenced it last night. I, I vividly remember Cashman at the end of last season going into the offseason saying that he wanted to improve this team up the middle. Catcher, shortstop, center field. And you know what? They slid Judge over to center field. Improvement for sure. Upgrade. But you need to keep Judge in right field for the long term. This is a guy you're going to have to sign for eight, nine years. Also, people forget you have a couple times that you can improve a team, right? You have the offseason. Yeah. And you have the deadline. Pretty much it. And and so, like, people were kind of – I don't know. I swear Cashman gets a rough deal. Uh, (laughs) People just are ready to close the door on him. And it's like, yo, give it time. Give it time. He improved. He got he got uh, IKF in the offseason. Um, he traded for Trevino and then he traded for Bader. And it was like, just wait on it. And now when you look at this rotation, sure. Could we have used Jordan Montgomery down the stretch here? Yes. Frankie Montas has been a little bit of a disappointment. Uh, we're not exactly sure uh, if it's going to be Domingo Herman. Sevi returns tonight. Um, sure. You could have used. Jordan Montgomery, but you could have used Jordan Montgomery and he could have got rocked like he did in City Field in the Subway Series or other times where he didn't get rocked and the Yankees couldn't score for him. They were able to use Jordan Montgomery as a trade piece to upgrade center field, which is a premium position. It's the cost. It's the cost of getting that position. Keith. It's a trade. You need a, a trade. You need a center fielder. I mean, you said it. They mentioned it as early as last offseason. And when they didn't get one in the spring, it's like, okay, what are they going to do? Well, they gave Aaron Hicks a try. He was coming off the injury. They gave him a little bit of a leash and defensively disappointed. Forget about offensively. Defensively disappointed to the point where they needed to put Aaron Judge there. It wasn't supposed to be a permanent solution. It was a Band-Aid. Okay? And they showed you that how important they showed you how important it was to get a center fielder. Why? They traded one of their better starters to get an injured center fielder. This is, I mean, yeah, we can make all the jokes about it, but think about it in those terms. They showed you how badly they needed a center fielder, that putting Aaron Judge there wasn't good enough. He is. If you measure, listen, he's phenomenal. He's amazing. He's six seven, six eight, doing all these things, whatever. Okay, but guess what? He is an average center fielder across the landscape of what the good center fielders look like and what the average center fielders look like. He's an average center fielder defensively, okay? You needed a center fielder. They knew it last offseason. They knew it in the spring. It took until July to get one, and the cost of getting one and the injured one was one of your starting pitchers. Okay, not, not It's not a great optic, but you needed to make a deal to – if you were going to be a serious – and you mentioned it, Keith, Trevino, Isaiah Conner-Falefa, moving Torres back to second. If you're serious about up-the-middle defense, you had to address center field, and they did. Now, I don't know what the next two weeks are going to look like for Harrison Bader, but you're right. He's, he's a good center fielder, a really good one, and the Yankees are going to put him out there and see what happens. 
Yeah, I. It's it's it was an investment, right? It was an investment in August, yeah. Yeah. and you just had to be patient and wait a little bit. And you know what made it tough? Jordan Montgomery went to the Cardinals and was great, and is still great. And I, I had to let some people know. He, he's pitching in the NL Central. It's a little quieter over there, right? It's a little quieter in Great American Ballpark. It's a little quieter in PNC Park. Um, you know, he 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 shut down the Nationals. And, yeah, Jordan Montgomery pitched well against the Yankees, too. That was awkward. But I looked at it like this, man. They never scored for Monty. How many Yankees games? It was the same thing. No run support. No, so That's a guy you trade. And if the St. Louis Cardinals value him to the point where they're like, hey, you know, we've got all these other guys that have emerged, like, I don't know, Lars Newtbar. I just wanted a reason to say Lars Newtbar on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. We've got all these other guys that have emerged in our outfield, like Lars Newtbar. Uh, this guy's hurt. He might be able to return at the end of the season. I think that was a, a Cashman steal. And uh, we'll see how his injury holds up. But I, I think it also was a steal because of value. We could afford to lose a Jordan Montgomery and still go, you know, the rest of the season in first place. We haven't lost first place yet. We're not close to use it, losing first place. We needed a center fielder. You could not keep Aaron Judge there. And like you said, Aaron Judge to us was an upgrade, but it was an upgrade over Aaron Hicks. Yeah. It wasn't like Judge was the best center fielder in baseball. He is a great outfielder, great arm. But you need a guy that can play there every day, and now the Yankees have one. I think it's. I think that is the biggest thing. The issue was that you needed a center fielder, and the cost of getting one was one of your better starting pitchers. And sometimes, listen, it it hurts sometimes when you're trying to get good players from other teams. It's going to hurt, and unfortunately, you know when you're you're chasing and the lead is dwindling, and you know you have you know certain track records that um, fans like to get on with Brian Cashman. Listen, and I get it. One championship in a long time. I understand all that. That's something we're going to debate in the off season too, as his contract comes up. But you know there aren't indications that that's changing. We'll get into all that some other time. But to get a center fielder, you had to give up something. This is what they gave up. The other thing from last night, Keith, that was troubling when this was, you know, the one thing that was troubling, Aaron Boone went to all of his best relievers in last night's game and back at Nestor Cortez, and they all flopped. All of them flopped in three innings. They gave up a total of seven runs. Every How many times have we talked about the idea of these guys combined for three innings, four innings of shutout ball of no hit ball last night, Maranaccio, Trevino, Loizaga, and Holmes all gave up hits, all gave up walks, except for Holmes. Uh, two of them gave up home runs. They all gave up runs. They all got smashed by the Pirates, and that was not a good look. It, it's concerning. As I was putting my notes together watching the game and, and planning on going to WFAN to talk about an 8-4 loss to the Pittsburgh Pirates, I had a few things that I ended up just erasing because I'm like, there's no need. I'm on for two hours. There's no need to uh, spend this two hours talking about it, but it is a concern because those are the Pittsburgh Pirates. Those Those are guys that are they're not making the postseason. There's much better lineups, much better teams that the Yankees are going to face. And with 15 games left, you're looking at guys coming out like Trevino, like Loisaga, like Clay Holmes. And it's like, man, why can't these guys just be shut down, be solid? Is the stage too big? Are the lights too bright with all the judge hype? Right. Judge is always focused and locked in. But maybe this is too big for some other guys. And I'm not mad at Boone. Right. Boone is pressing the buttons that he feels like he needs to press. I'm um, playing the chess game, 
I will say this, and I know Yankees fans that watched that game last night, you got to beat the umps as well. The home plate ump was a little bit, you know, for me, just all over the place. Welcome to the ump show. Early in the game, too. Um, but I, I, it's, you know, I can't blame the umpires for, for them giving it up. No, up. absolutely not. Trevino yeah. gave it up right away. And then for Loisiga, man, Loisiga takes you on some rides. And then Clay Holmes, I don't know what has happened to the guy. He is not the same guy that we saw in the beginning of the year. In the beginning of the year, he was unhittable. Like, they could not even track that i don't know I, i'll say this the yankees got to f- figure it out fast uh chapman cannot be uh an answer <laughs> we can well, never go he, back he, to that he, he might end up being and here's no, the here's the, here's the I only can't, he might end up being why because he doesn't need to be great for a year none of these guys do now they just need to be great for a couple trauma of i can't I, I well can't. listen everybody's got drama keith it's you know and no, it's tra- I've, I've been too much through too much trauma with this guy oh, on the yeah, mound. I, I can't go I backwards. I'd rather it be Clay. I'd rather watch Clay give him. it up than watch Chapman give it up again. I'm not asking you to trust him. I'm telling you, it just might be him. Okay. Because Scott Everest, one thing, please. <laughs> one thing you have to re- remember is that, and, and Loisic is the wild card here, but the problem here is he doesn't have as much swing and miss as he had last year. And this is what bullpen, you know, you're seeing these things blow up because they're making contact and contact is going here and there and, you know, hard contact in the case of Trevino last night, which was a little unusual, but bullpens are built with swing and miss in mind. Yeah. Right now the Yankees don't have any swing and miss in the bullpen. Ron Marinasio wasn't sharp last night. And I'm like, come on kid. We need like, we need you to pop in there and, and uh, be solid. I, they got to figure it out quick. I don't know if it's going to be F Ross uh, Wandy Peralta has been shaky too. Uh, there's a few guys in the back of that. The contact. That's yeah. that's the problem with bullpens is that people look for swing and miss. And right now there are too many contact guys out there. Yeah, it's it's not great. So we need our starters to go seven innings, and the only one that could consistently do that while giving up home runs is Garrett Cole. I and that's a different issue altogether. We'll get into that some other time. Um, because there's going to be some more big games here coming up here as the Yankees try to inch closer to October. Uh, you know they're going to get there. You know they've held off these teams. They've survived. Um, they're, you know, the magic number will start dropping down. They do have a big three-game series coming up with Toronto, but hopefully a little uh, distance between um, between them by the time they get there and there's not as much drama or trauma, whatever you want to call it, Keith. Both, uh, really. <laughs> both. It's okay, I get it. It's not supposed to be easy. Okay, it's not supposed to be easy. Sometimes you make it look easy. Listen, there there is you're going to enjoy it more when you go through some struggle and they win. It's not supposed to be easy. Nobody's winning is easy. And I think we sometimes forget that. Yeah, especially as Yankees fans, 27 rings are supposed to win it all all the time. But yeah, no, there's other teams like Kenley Jansen is, is struggling right now with the Braves and they got him thinking that he would be their closer and he's still struggling. He struggled all year. So like other teams are going into October two, kind of reconfiguring and looking at what they have and trying to figure out the best way to go about it. And I think the Yankees will figure it out, but it's just, it's disappointing. Like, like I said, when you're facing the Pittsburgh pirates and the back of your bullpen can't come in and just lock it down and be solid completely. And, you know, and these are the guys that you wanted to bring in. These are your good relievers. Um, These were not bad moves, they were bad performances. Michael and, King. I miss Michael King every single really, day. Yes. It's it's a huge blow. Um, and who knows? Maybe he'd been part of this at some point. Uh, you nope. know, 
<laughs> King in New York, Michael King in New York. As soon as he went down, Sweeney, I blame Chapman. I, I just I had visions of the Yankees getting to where they were going this year with Michael King getting big outs in big games and uh, sucks to lose a guy like that. And now they got to replace him. Scott Efres, I've got a lot of faith and hope in you. You know what Michael King did really well? Get swings and misses. Yeah, That's I what know. I'm talking about. These are the yeah. kind of guys that you miss. So we'll see. Um, and, and other teams have figured out bullpens. Teams that won World Series in recent years. Go back in the last five, ten years. You know, the Astros, the Red Sox, the Nationals, you know, the Braves. They all had bullpen issues. And they and all you all it takes is somebody to figure it out, get hot at the right time. This isn't about putting up a historic season. It's about a couple of weeks, a couple of games, a couple yeah. of big plays. That's all it is. And that's why it's fun to watch and see if there's a chance. You don't need guarantees. You just need performances and watch them happen. Um, well, listen, this has been all about Aaron Judge for most of this one. And it's probably apropos because that's what this season has been about. But now it's going to start getting serious. As I've told you. This is a serious time for serious people. Another movie line that is going to go right over your head. You've got things to watch. You've got Godfather again. You next have to watch 61. <laughs> Trust me. Go watch it. Streaming on HBO Max. Just go do it. Okay. Um, and we'll get there. The um and we've got more to come. Let's try to this on Friday. Big Red Sox series. Maybe not as big because the Red Sox are sitting in last and maybe aren't the foes that we thought they'd be at this time of year. But Judge has another date with history. The Yankees have a date with clinching a postseason spot and the AL East. And you and I will get us. You and I will get everyone through this together. Yeah. right? Yeah, we'll be there. Um, are, are you back in the stadium? I know you were sick for, for a little bit and, and I heard you Go last back. night. Yeah, okay. going back tonight, and uh, I will look forward to um, to the firsthand look at history. And I promise I will not leave early. One, I can't because it's my job. But um, <laughs> you know, one it's more. funny we we have opposite jobs, but kind of like you know very close jobs. Like I come on after you, so I go to the game, and I do have to be one foot out the door because I can't chance it where there's a delayed train or there's too much traffic and I'm stuck in traffic. And then I'm not there when you go off the air and it's time for me to go on, but I, I've got it down. I've gone to 35 games this year. And I want to say like 30 of them I've been on the air after I, I've got a, a good feel for it, but man, I'm, I'm definitely not leaving. I'm not, I'm not leaving unless it's a, uh, hopefully the Yankees blow the pirates out tonight. They smoke the Red Sox and we get to the ninth inning judge isn't going to bat. It's done. And, and I can hit the road. Um, I'm looking forward to it. It is a, a good time. Uh, the, the Red Sox, I said this on air. When we just faced the Red Sox, Alex Cora was set on challenging Aaron Judge. He wanted all his guys to pitch to him. And they, they don't really have that many great guys pitching for them. So there's a good chance that uh, this Red Sox series, you see Aaron Judge, uh, if he doesn't do it tonight against the Pirates, you see Aaron Judge get 61, maybe 62, 63 against the Red Sox this weekend. I think it's fitting, the rivalry. Uh, you know, he's passing Babe Ruth, Babe Ruth, the whole curse. And uh, the Red Sox-Yankees rivalry, it'd be perfect for just history to be, you know, Judge hitting 61, 62, 63 against the Red Sox, and that's forever. 
There are 15 games to go. We will see together how far Aaron Judge goes and how far the Yankees go. This is BXB, brand new Yankees podcast. This has been episode six. Sweeney Murdy and Keith McPherson were brought to you from Odyssey and available at all your favorite podcast platforms. Make sure to follow, subscribe, review, all that jazz, and come on back for another episode real soon. For Keith McPherson and our producer, Ryan Chichester, I'm Sweeney Murdy. Thanks for listening.